आप सुन रहे हैं वाव कनेक्ट संगम साहित्य और कला का हेलो गुड मॉर्निंग नमस्कार सत्याकाल आदाब सभी सुनने वालों का हमारे वीकेंड पॉडकास्ट वाव कनेक्ट पर स्वागत है आज कार्तिक मास की कृष्ण पक्ष अमावस्या है एंड अकॉर्डिंग टू द ग्रिगोरियन कैलेंडर टुडे इज द फिफ्टीन ऑफ नवंबर हर वीकेंड की तरह हर पॉडकास्ट में हम कोशिश करते हैं कि हम आपके लिए कोई थॉट प्रोवोकिंग कॉन्वर्सेशन लाएं जिसके बारे में आप सोचें और आज जो ऑथर हमारे साथ हैं उनकी बुक हमारी शॉर्टलिस्टेड है हमारे फेस्टिवल में युवानिका आपको डिटेल्स बताएंगी पर ये स्पेशली उन लोगों के लिए है जिनको नेचर से प्यार है हु थिंक अबाउट कंजर्विंग नेचर हु थिंक अबाउट ऑल द एनिमल्स दैट डवेल ऑन आर प्लानट हु थिंक अबाउट द डिफिकल्टीज वी आर फेसिंग over to you vanika for further details well the 16th of november actually nidhi that is tomorrow marks the international day for tolerance which is another reason we felt that this book would be very suitable for today and also as a sort of sign off because it's already the 15th and our festival is next week and then we'll only be seeing you after the festival for our final we will give you a recap yeah, on our festival <laughs> final recap and farewell but we wanted to end on a really good note with a conversation between friends in fact the way our podcasts often are so we have for you today an interview with the author tr shankar raman who's written the book wild heart of india which as some of our listeners will already know is shortlisted in the pfc wow book awards under the category of english non fiction and he will be in conversation with manoj nair who himself is a wonderful and very accomplished gentleman and in fact they're old classmates old colleagues old classmates and old friends i believe so this is a wonderful conversation and uh, we really hope you enjoy it there is not much time to talk before the interview starts because it's a longish interview and we didn't want to cut it much so we're just going to talk to you a little bit about the book itself here we start by telling you the blurb of the wild heart of india nature and conservation in the city the country and the wild by t r shankar raman through this collection of essays biologist shankar raman attempts to blur if not dispel the sharp separation between humans and nature to lead you to discover that the wild heart of india beats in your chest too wild untamed hostile remote yet wild can be gentle welcome and inspiring too This is the wild that preoccupies biologist Shankar Raman as he writes about trees and bamboos, hornbills and elephants, leopards and myriad other species. Species found not just out there in far wildernesses, from the Thar desert to the Kalakad rainforests, from Narkondam Island to Namdafa, but amid us in gardens and cities, in farms, along roadsides. And he writes about the forces that gouge land and disfigure landscapes, rip trees and shred forests. pollute rivers and contaminate the air slaughter animals along roads and rail tracks impelling a motivation to care and to conserve nature through this collection of essays shankar raman attempts to blur if not dispel the sharp separation between humans and nature to lead you to discover that the wild heart of india beats in your chest too how sweet wild heart of india sounds so nice I'm going to tell you a little about the author. T.R. Shankar Raman is a writer turned wildlife scientist turned writer living in the Anamalai Hills in southern India. He works with the Nature Conservation Foundation. 
and like you said he is being interviewed by mr manoj nayar who is a dear friend and also because they've done their uh, i think masters together from the wildlife institute yeah. and uh, he did his zoology from kerala university also right. mr manoj nayar they are their batchmates and uh, mr nayar joined the indian forest services in 2001 and he's got i think more than 50 publications since 1990 resulting from his field work so i'm sure they must have struck a chord in the conversation so let's get to the conversation yes absolutely here is tr shankar raman in conversation with manoj nair and here's a word in advance so our listeners aren't confused uh, manoj nair refers to him as shridhar <laughs> this is a conversation with tr shankar raman hi shridhar many congratulations on being shortlisted for the value of words award 2020 for your book the wild heart of india it is indeed a pleasure to have you in conversation thank you so much and welcome to the podcast thank you uh, very much and thanks to value of words as well uh, i'm uh, really grateful and look forward to this conversation your book is a collection of essays the oldest of which if i'm not wrong was published way back in 1992 in a particularly delightful piece You mentioned how your brother and you, as boys in the 1980s, growing up in Chennai, saw a bird, the white-tailed tropic bird, uh, which is quite rare and uh, very difficult to see species. What made you so clued into nature in your early boyhood? And do you have any fall of the sparrow tale to recount? <laughs> um, I don't. Uh, I don't have any particular event that uh, brought me into uh, into nature. You know, I started uh, bird watching as a child when I was eleven years old, and it was a sort of a series of uh, happy coincidences, and uh, you know, many things came together um, to you know make me start birding and be uh, out there in nature. Uh, among my earliest memories are of my mother, you know, taking me out. um traveling so we used to on any pretext get out of the house take a bus or a suburban train and you know just go to the outskirts of chennai to visit someone come back so i always enjoyed being out uh, outdoors and you know the opportunity to travel was uh, uh, was one thing then uh, there was this habit of reading i used to read a lot and among the things that i read uh, you know as a child there was this magazine called target It was a children's magazine which was quite good in the early years, and it carried an article on bird watching, and that kind of uh, piqued my curiosity, and I wanted to uh, you know give it uh, give it a try, and uh, in addition to that, uh, uh, the article said that to watch birds you can use uh, binoculars, and I was very you know curious to use the binoculars that we had at home. those binoculars used to be kept inside a cupboard and pulled out every year only when you know a cricket match was going on in the chepok stadium but uh, here i had an opportunity to pull it out every day and uh, you know uh, look around me so and chennai that way is, uh, was uh, quite a lovely city i was fortunate to live in a house which had uh, a nice uh, you know front yard backyard with lots of trees so there were uh, birds right there in my garden i didn't have to go Uh, very far to uh, see birds or to enjoy uh, uh, nature and very early on uh, i met uh, you know people like mr theodore baskaran uh, 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 who's a writer and he was also a member of the madras naturalist society and he introduced me to a whole community of people 
like uh, V Shantaram and uh, a number of others, R.K. Menon, so many others in Chennai who used to basically go out almost every week to look at birds, to look at wildlife. And uh, I became a member as a, you know, even when I was in school and quite early on I got hooked. So it was sort of all of these coming together at the same time, roughly when I was, you know, 11, 12 years old, that uh, got me started. And once uh, you're in it, at least I was hooked. So uh, there was no uh, real turning back for me after that. Sridhar, you have divided the wild heart of India into three broad thematic verticals. Field days, uh, conservation, and then reflections, where you talk about our place in nature. Does this in some way reflect your own evolution? And can you briefly tell us about the trajectory of your own life and how it has shaped you as a writer? Yes, um, in in many ways, uh, uh, that uh, trajectory reflects my own change, uh, you know, right through my career. And uh, um, it, it, it was something that I didn't initially have in mind, but it sort of came together when I tried to put the book together. And it... Uh, it seemed to me like both a logical structure for the book as well as a way to encapsulate my own journey. And when I started off, I was a bird watcher. I was a student. Uh, you know, all I was interested in was trying to get out uh, every weekend to some place. And, you know, in, around Chennai, there are so many places, the Gindi National Park, there's the Theosophical Society. There are the uh, swamps uh, in Velacheri, Pallikarna area. There are, you know, there is the beach and the uh, coast. So there's a whole range of places that one could go to, you know, from, from the city itself. And uh, initially that was, itself was wonderful. Just getting out there, you know, something outside your classrooms, outside your house. Um, and there is so much to see and so much to learn right there. And that went uh, sort of side by side with my uh, reading and interest in natural history. Um, uh, reading... Uh, uh, books, you know, Gerard Durrell and uh, writers like that who got me thinking and who got me observing nature and uh, being uh, fascinated by virtually every morning you're out there. So that's that those were the initial stages, the, you know, the joy of discovery, the joy of being out there, the joy and also about learning to observe, which is a very key sort of uh, thing, you know, learning to notice and lo- learning to put those down in your notebook, in whatever form, and, you know, re- uh, remembering. That was a very important uh, formative stage. And it because of those interests, it seemed very natural to sort of move on to the next stage, which was to make a career uh, looking at um, broadly in the field of biology, but more focused on nature, nature conservation, wildlife science. So that's where I went next. You know, I did a BSc in zoology, and then I did a master's at the Wildlife Institute of India, uh, before going on to do a, a doctorate uh, in ecology at the Indian Institute of Science. And those years were different in uh, in many ways. One is that uh, it was learning uh, at, a, at a different level. It's not just about noticing and about uh, natural history. It's also about learning to think uh, scientifically, uh, learning right. to see how can we make more sense out of nature how can we understand nature by systematic observations and uh, what have we learned from science so that was one part of it the other part uh, in those years was this amazing group of people that i had you know i was really fortunate to be with my partner divya 
with whom I have, uh, you know, uh, traveled for nearly uh, three decades through so many areas and we've learned so much about rainforests and so many other areas together. They were my uh, friends in the Wildlife Institute of India, my classmates, uh, you yourself uh, at, at WII. I've learned so much from all of you. And it's not just uh, that I learned from what uh, these various people and their interests were, but there was also this uh, shared feeling about uh, needing to do something for conservation. So the second part of the book, Conservation, A World of Wounds, is, 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 is that, you know, we are recognizing right. that the science and um, has taught you to look at nature in a certain way and you learn that there is so much damage that uh, uh, human actions are causing to it and there is so much that we can also do to sort of recover that. But uh, many years of engagement with conservation, you know, very quickly uh, sobers you up. You realize uh, pretty quickly that uh, it's not so simple. It's not that, okay, I'm a scientist. I can go to a place, do my research, understand it, and then bang, I have a solution, uh, you know, for conservation to apply there. There is so much more to a place uh, and to uh, to the species that we were studying. Uh, one needed uh, very different skills. One needed to understand how people in the area viewed those places and those species. We needed to learn to relate with people. We needed to involve people in conservation. We also uh, had to grapple with, uh, you know, the different values that ecosystems and, and, uh, uh, and species have which often cannot be captured by science and you know dry narratives of science. So that's what I'm trying to get at in the third part of the book, which is more reflective, which uh, looks at uh, aesthetics, ethics, and uh, different ways of uh, uh, relationships, that uh, different kinds of relationships that we can build with nature and to understand that we too are a part of nature. Sita, you've always been an avid and an eclectic reader yourself and a meticulous chronicler of shifting tastes in your choice of genres and books. I have to ask you this question, though it's a cliched one. How has your reading list changed over the years? Who are your favorite authors and what are you reading these days? <laughs> uh, that's a... I mean, I could talk about that for a long time. Uh, yeah. So... Um, my reading has uh, has been quite extensive, uh, not as extensive as I would have uh, liked it to be, but I like to read very uh, a very diverse uh, set of uh, uh, books, and uh, it's for two reasons. One is genuinely because I like to read uh, books that range in you know from fiction and poetry to uh, to nonfiction of of various kinds. But also uh, in the last uh, decade or so, I find that reading also helps my writing. So it's for these two reasons, both uh, you know as a as a reader per se, as well as because of what it brings to my writing that I I try and read a lot. As I sort of got into my career and into my studies, something happened quite uh, subtly, which I didn't even realize was happening myself, is that my reading shifted to almost entirely nonfiction. And it, uh, there was a time when, you know, towards the end of my doctorate, as well as uh, the years immediately following my doctorate, I was only reading nonfiction books, 
on uh, and very narrowly on 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 nature on conservation and on science and um, i had to sort of consciously break out of that and i realized that there was so much i was missing by by you know so narrowly focusing on uh, um, on just non fiction that i made a conscious effort and got back into fiction reading so today i read a lot uh, in fact i read a lot more fiction and i read poetry uh, much more than i read uh, non fiction through my school days i learned in english and my second language was hindi so although i can read tamil i uh, have not uh, i'm not fluent enough to read uh, in um, in the tamil literature so most of what i learn is through a friend of mine who who both reads and writes in tamil so we all have a lo- lot of uh, conversations and i follow his writing and i get to know more about uh, the others uh, writers in tamil but that's definitely something that's uh, been a, a regret well a barrage of questions now for you do you believe that the power of books over people is dwindling fast is reading becoming a dying pastime particularly among the younger generation and is there anything that we should or can do about it can technology with its kindles and audiobooks and podcasts be a redeeming force and can literary festivals such as these play a role too yeah i i don't know i think it's it's definitely a, a challenge these days uh, to get people to read um i you know i personally don't have very strong opinions one way or the other i feel that anything that gets people to read and get interested in reading and in books uh, is worth a shot so if 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 reading on a kindle is your thing you know go for it i myself had a kindle i read uh, on it for many years but now i have more or less switched almost 100% to reading from the from the physical book and um, and um, you know there is i i do listen to podcasts i i do listen to uh, other writers and readers um, uh, online so any of these things and even liter- uh, literary festivals probably if they help bring attention to books uh, bring uh, get people to get interested in a book to you know pick it up in whatever form and start thumbing through it i think is uh, is definitely helpful i don't know which one is better than the other for me definitely after trying out all of this i prefer the physical book you know the uh, uh, the ability to hold that book in your hand uh, the feel of it and uh, you know you can flip back and forth you can close it you can come back to a particular page um that is is very important and it's uh, the experience of uh, finding a book in a bookstore is also something that i i uh, i value a lot although it's much easier to buy a book online these days i still would prefer to go to a bookstore and you know just randomly walk along the shelves because there is you you're always more likely to find something there which you uh, either hadn't thought of or you know Uh, the algorithms of your uh, software doesn't you know say okay this is for you kind of uh, thing this is something that you you know absolutely uh, find by serendipity i think that's very important and above all i think for young people the uh, i feel that uh, uh, reading is a time when uh, it requires you to put in attention and concentration uh, usually by yourself and uh, that yeah obviously one can't do that all the time but one needs to be able to do that some of the time because it it sort of trains you to concentrate it trains you to pay attention it trains you to uh, get the best 
out of um, out of a book and that doesn't come if you're always with uh, you know on your devices and you know chatting and just glimpsing at something and going back so uh, while all of those have some value there must be this as part of the mix and uh, i think that's that's really oh, what i feel now to a question which uh, i've been mulling over for quite some time now and this is about a term which is increasingly becoming popular and more heard and that is nature deficit so the term was popularized by richard lew in his book last child in the woods subtitled saving our children from a nature deficit disorder so is it just a passing buzzword shrita or is is it really a cause for concern not only among children but even among adults especially in our cities and is, are, are there any remedies that you would suggest for this i think uh, it is definitely uh, an issue of concern today uh the nature deficit uh, is not something that only children have but it's something that uh, has definitely reached uh the adults as well in 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 our in our uh, community and in our cities and in my book the wild heart of india i uh, have uh, mentioned that one possible reason for that is that the people often tend to think of nature as something that is away from them you know is something out there it's in a it's in a wildlife sanctuary or a national park far away and uh, so you know it's not something that i'm likely to uh, know or uh, experience unless i you know pack my bags on a vacation and go somewhere far away but that's not true you know my uh, most of my experiences uh, in nature have been in in my backyard and you know wherever i am uh, in in working like i mentioned even in the city of chennai so the first thing that we probably need to do is to uh, try and break this mental barrier that people create between themselves and nature nature is not a place to visit as uh, gary snyder wrote nature is home so wherever you are whether it's a city whether you're in the countryside or you're you know away in a more much more at the edge of the forest like uh, you know i am right now in the anamalai hills there is nature all around you and it's important to recognize that and then you can go to the next step which is just step outside or even stand on your balcony and begin to witness and begin to observe that and i think this uh, the present moment we are in the pandemic has shown how so many people are actually interested in that uh, in the nature conservation foundation where i work we carry out programs for children and uh, you know training for teachers also uh, workshops where people can join in and we find that the response is overwhelming people are really interested in this and they uh, they value the opportunity so i think but there's still a long way to go uh, by and large we are just touching the tip of it i all i'm saying is that there's a enormous potential uh, to break this nature deficit disorder but it requires both uh, a mental uh change in the, in the way we think about nature as well as actions such as let me get out there and and start watching and start learning and start you know caring about what's around me and finally for people who deeply care for nature in all her manifestations such as you these times of anthropocene has been manifestly brutal upon the earth and climate change was never so apparent as it is today as a prescient observer of nature and as a conservation biologist constantly trying to revive it 
how do you see the future unfold shida both for india and for the world what i would you know the way i've come to think about uh, both our present moment and where we are going is is something like this i think we are in very unprecedented times uh, we are in a world of uh, climate emergency uh, it is far more serious than our policy makers and everyone uh, is you know is giving uh, uh, attention to you can see the huge wildfires you know blazing away in uh, california the deforestation in the amazon the extreme weather events the the rainfall and the landslides and um, that's happening in india the floods so we are in the middle of a climate emergency and we are also at a time when um, both in our country and in many other countries the uh, safeguards that we have in place to protect nature and protect the environment are slowly being whittled away uh, the regulations are being weakened uh they are, they are being diluted or being just completely done away with in terms of just giving clearances for industries for roads for mining so that's a very very dangerous trend and particularly at this extremely dangerous time uh, so it is uh, we are at that moment and it's a very serious moment uh that uh, we need to keep in mind and i feel that if we are to respond to this in some significant way it it needs to be a response at at least three levels the um, the level the first level is at as an individual what can i do as an individual to um, for the environment or for conservation and there is a whole range of things that you can do in terms of changing your energy needs or reducing your footprint uh, how much um, uh, plastics and other things that you use how much you consume the reduction in that is is a significant um, uh, action because it it sort of uh, sensitizes us to the issue it makes us committed to to these um, uh, to change and i think that's very valuable but uh, just individual level changes will not Uh, solve the huge problems that are there ahead of us it's a very important part of it but it's just the very bare minimum you also need to change things at your community level and at the level of the larger society or you know uh, in nation at the community level there are things like getting together with others in your community to to uh, to act so you see for instance in cities there are people who organize to do a much better solid waste management you have people who are going out there protecting the trees that are found in the city uh, when uh, when bangalore uh, wanted to build a steel flyover we, we saw you know hundreds and thousands of people coming out in protest against it so that kind of uh, uh, a community of people uh, to to react and to step forward and say no this is important to me is very important and then at the larger level ultimately that's where the biggest changes can happen at the level of policy at the level of change so for instance we know now it's absolutely essential that fossil fuel uh, um, uh, consumption and use must reduce and that is not something that can happen at the level of an individual or even a small community it has to happen through changes at the level of the entire country uh, through policies through taxes and you know carbon taxes and a, and a variety of measures that shift our society away from its dependence on fossil fuels so 
I feel that if that's just one example, I could give similar examples for uh, in in the in the field of nature conservation. But uh, what I'm trying to say is that we need to be prepared to act at all these levels if we want to bring change. And it's very vital that we actually do so because we are in the midst of such uh, a climate emergency and a very serious environmental situation today, uh, definitely in India. Thank you so much, uh, Manoj, and uh, uh, it was really a pleasure talking to you and uh, talking about uh, uh, the book as well as so uh, everything else. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, as promised to all our listeners, uh, I really think one of the foremost aspects of this conversation for me was the great comfort and intellectual congruence shared between Manoj Nair and T.R. Shankar Raman. And I think that made for a really great conversation between two people who are friends and who also are very knowledgeable about the same field of um, you know, conservation biology and wildlife and the climate emergency that we are unfortunately currently stuck in. Yeah, that's right. And the three levels that he talked about, that at an individual level, we all can make the effort. Perhaps can work, but not so much. Then comes the community level where people of the same kind get together and work for a cause. Again, effective, but the major, major change can come only at a national level, where policies have to be made, which is so true. I mean, at individual level, we can control our waste, we can have some waste management. Community level, people get together to fight for a cause. But then, solution lies with the people who are handling policies. Absolutely. And the issue at present, as uh, as Mr. Raman also says, is that policymakers are considering the current climate emergency far more casually than they really should be. And this is evident not just in India, but we're seeing really around the world a sort of dismissal of the urgency of the situation. And I think this is one of those really silly human fallacies where unless something is a a tangible physical monster you just don't take it seriously but this in fact is probably one of the greatest threats that we're experiencing as a collective civilization at the moment and if we don't somehow reorganize our policy and recalibrate ourselves on the individual community national and indeed global level i do think it will be very difficult for us to leave a world behind for future generations that is at all similar to what we've experienced. You know, the world is just going to get... Mm-hmm. It is very unfortunate. Because I was thinking, what a charming experience. Mr. Raman says, you know, he got into birding when he was young. And, you know, even reading all these books like Jarad Darrell and all. Now, of course, it's different to be in India than to be in Corfu. But to have a similarity of, oh, here's nature. Here's how you... I love that he said, you learn to notice and then you learn to note and remember... Mm-hmm because you learn how to observe. Hmm. And these are all very valuable qualities that we have to make sure are able to be passed down from generation to generation. Right. Very true. I mean, this is what we talked about in a couple of episodes before when we talked about waste management with Mr. Ankur B. Singh. Right. And he also came up with similar solutions. So I think uh, it makes sense. Yeah, it really does, I feel. I think it's really nice to have heard about how does one start to take an interest in natural history and the world around us? And uh, how do you then transform that, as in the case of T.R. Shankaraman and Manoj Nair, into a career and into meaningful change hmm. through the course of your life? 
So I really enjoyed that and I hope you enjoyed it also. And again, if you have any feedback, please do give it to us at www.valueofwords.org. Do you want to tell us about the session? Oh yes, I will in fact tell you about yeah. the session, which is, of course, as you all know, we have shortlisted, we have sessions with every shortlisted author. So, yes, of course, so Tia Shankaraman's session is particularly special because we are doing it in collaboration with the WII in Dehradun, which of course is the Wildlife Institute of India. And so it's sure to be an absolutely wonderful, sometimes technical, sometimes hard to follow, but <laughs> really excellent conversation. And Currently, it's scheduled for? It's scheduled for day three. It will be 15.45 to 16.45 hours. That's 3.45 to 4.45 p.m. in the Savoy Post Office on day three of the Valley of Woods Festival, which is our final day. So it is sort of fitting that we are ending our podcast series, I suppose, technically, with this book. And we'll also be ending our festival with this book in one of our last sessions. And um, so again... That's I'm a sure, lovely coincidence also. Yeah, it's a lovely coincidence. I'm sure Nidhi will join me in thanking both Tia Shankaraman and Manoj Nair once again for this wonderful conversation. And thank you to all our listeners for being with us all through our podcast. We will catch you shortly after our festival and we will give you... Uh, we'll share a little bit of the details of our festival and uh, how it went and then bid you farewell until next year yes but for now we will still say our regular catchphrase which is that we'll be seeing you same time same place same connect